The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The cowardness nature of progressive politicians, the Iran deal, the fallout from the Iran deal, including Hillary Clinton, Samantha Power, Barack Obama, and John Kerry, and learning from history of appeasing dictators. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in on this Saturday. This is, of course, the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. We have a jam-packed show for you today. I want to talk to you about the foreign policy, but I want to take it in a different direction because I want to link foreign policy, what you're seeing right now, what you're seeing from your politicians right now, but I also want to link it to your culture. So I want to take a step back and just examine your culture from a different, from a distance, if I may. And I think one of the things you have to understand when you when you talk about progressivism, when you talk about the progressive ideology, and especially when you talk about progressive politicians and people in the media, you need to understand something about their character. And whether they like it or not, they do have this sense of cowardness towards them. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, let's go by the definition in the dictionary. If you look up for the definition of a, of a coward, it's a person who is uh, lacking in courage to do or endure dangerous or unpleasant things. What you need to understand is progressivism is what I call statism. It's just another strain of it. And what that is, is it, it's the empowerment of the state. It's the state must control everything. The state must be over absolutely everything. The, the state is the answer. The state is the solution. And they use the, the levers of the state to, to make and shape society the way they see it, that the way they see and feel it needs society to be. And if you happen to go against that, well, then you're in trouble. But what you also understand is, especially in this culture in 2018, is that progressives, because they believe in the state, they need to ha- influence their power. They need to show their power. They need to show their force to, to send a message to society that says, don't go against us. Don't, don't go against us. If you go against us or you step out of line, we'll crush you. However, if you look at society in 2018, what you'll notice is the progressives, and I say this in both parties, Republicans and Democrats. This is not a, a there's John going on talking about Democrats. I'm talking about progressives in both parties. Is you need to bully someone. And I want to look just and explain how you're seeing this in 2018. Because what you see in the progressives, especially in 2018, is they're cowards. They always go and hit someone. They know they need to empower the state. They know they need to keep people in line. And who they check and who they keep in line are the people they think won't fight back, are the people that they think will just take it. So let's look at some of the, some of the stories from the last couple of weeks, shall we? And just to prove this point, just to prove how, you know, how cowardly these people are. 
So there's a magazine in America, and I apologize. Actually, I don't apologize. I've never read it. GQ. No, I even know what it is, and I'll be blunt, I don't care. Um, there's this magazine, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's, I've seen it on newsstands, but I don't know what it's about. But they, they came out with this great article. It's a wonderful article. Uh, it's an article, 21 books you don't really have to read. You know, and if you if you like old-fashioned, like Cook Finn was in it and stuff, you know, if you like old classics, you didn't. You, they just said you don't need to read this, and because they're good progressive, they 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 don't burn books. They they just shape society. They go here here these twenty one books. Don't waste your time reading them. But here here's another book instead. Read this. It's much better. It's much more in line with our thinking. So one of the books they said of the twenty one that you don't have to read is oh, what's that book again? You know that book, the Bible. Bible was one of the books they said you didn't have to read. And I'll give you a quote from the, the article, because the article is just so intelligent. It's, and I quote, The Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. Those who have read it know there are some good parts. But overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sentinous, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. If the thing you heard was good about the Bible was the nasty bits, then I propose Christoph's The Notebook, a marvelous take of two brothers who have to get along when things get rough. End quote. That's GQ for you. Now, first of all, there are some points here which we do need to address, and one we need to address in another show is, you know, the amount of Christians who actually have not read the Bible and who don't really live the biblical life. But that's a conversation for another day. What frustrates me as someone who produces content and takes great pride in, I I fact-check everything, and I'm always working on this show to improve it, is, you know, they they come up with these lines that the, the Bible is not the finest thing man has ever produced. If you do any ounce of research, you'll understand Christians generally, I, obviously there's different strains of Christianity, but generally as a general rule, Christians don't call the Bible man-made. It's, it's biblically inspired. It's God. It's a gift from God. It might be written through man's hand and on man's creation like paper, but it's, it's from God. However, there is a term which we'll come back to, which I just want you to bear in mind. They say the Bible is repetitive. It's funny that it's like history. You know, if you read world history in a snapshot, you, you change the actors, you change the times, you change the people, you change the situation. It's a very repetitive. Man just never seems to learn its lesson. It's kind of like the Bible that way. It's like, you know, I'll give you ten commandments. I'll give you, the, the, I'll give you two. I'll give you ten. I'll give you two. Man never really learns lessons from the Bible. But I want you to spare in mind, it's repetitive. What I always find funny is, so, I wonder with GQ, you know, that great bash, you know, these progressive hope, I'm guessing. I wonder would they have the balls to, you know, write another article, say, yeah, 10 books you don't need to read. Or even 50, or even 100 books, they don't bother wasting your time to read, and one of them is the Quran. I wonder would they say the Quran is, is repetitive, is self-contradictory. Because actually, if you want to actually take it just from a the Quran point of view, there is some contradictory in, in the Quran and the Hadiths. Because even by their own scholars, what the Muslim scholars will tell you if you read the Quran and the Hadith is, the later it comes is what actually, you know, Allah wants. There are some things that go against each, go contradict each other. And it's Allah's, you know, de- redefining things. So there is actually some contradictions in in the, in the Quran. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that is there. But I wonder would GQ actually say that? Would they have the balls to say, you know what, don't read the Quran? Now, next story, which I found amazing. And I, I honestly, 
I'll be honest with you, you know, this is a, a failure in American society. How this person is still alive in America today, I don't know. Because if anyone needed to be taken out and just stoned to death, it's this person. I'm sure you've heard this story. It's There's this, this I, I, I'll be honest, I'm getting so angry right now just thinking about this story. I, my blood is boiling. It, there's this story of this girl and uh, I, I say stoner. I say stone that bitty to death. Um, she she uh, went to a prom, and she wore a a, 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 a dress, a Chinese dress. Like if 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 honestly, I think if we just don't people that, I think we just just take. The, actually, you know what? Let's just do. Let's bring back. You know, since we're talking about the Bible and that, how about we bring back public stonings? You know, shame her. She dared wear a Christian or a a, a Chinese dress to prom. And there was all these great Twitter people online and these great lines from articles and hashtag, my culture is not your prom dress, hashtag. Eh. Wow. This is what we get upset by. You know, cultural appropriation. You know, so before I actually get to the point of this, I just want to make a side point. I actually think, and I say this as an Irish person who doesn't really drink, I think, you know, if anyone drinks alcohol at any period of time, you're just culturally appropriation, my culture. My Irish people. You know, Irish people are the people who are the drunks, apparently. If you go by what's popular in pop culture, we're the drunks. So just leave the drink to us. You just stop drinking. So if you're listening to this on a Saturday night or on a Sunday and you're, you're sitting down for dinner with your family and you happen to have a glass of wine, I want you to put that glass of wine down and go, I can't appropriate John's culture. Can't appropriate the Irish culture. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Stupid. However, what I always find ironic is, in the same week, it's like God has a sense of humor. Not there's John pushing God again. It's like God has a sense of humor. In the same week we have, hashtag, my culture is not your prom dress. The culture, there's this gala. It's called the Met Gala. Again, full disclosure, I don't pay much attention to your culture and what superstars do. I don't care too much other things to be doing. I'm... I'm washing my hair, and in case you've never seen a picture of me, I'm generally bald, so I'm busy washing my hair. There's a, a Met Gala, and all these superstars went to it, and Rihanna and Madonna and all were there, and they said, you know what would be really cool right now? Do you know we need a team party? And what we'll have the team this year is we'll you know, dress like a Catholic. So we can't, a girl can't wear a Chinese dress to a prom. That's outrage but to be a catholic ah that's totally fine that's totally fine and like there's people like rihanna rihanna dressing like the pope and i don't mean in case you didn't you know john in case you didn't see the pictures when and john said john said she dressed like the pope i don't mean like actually like the pope like the pope you know catholics are generally and i'm not being insulting it's just the way that it's actually what they want to be they're kind of dull dressers you know the pope doesn't you know it's generally white I'm sure it's made with really nice fabric and stuff, but it's not, you know, you don't look at the Pope going, wow, he's a, he's a fancy dresser. It's not the Pope. That's not the Pope's job. The Pope is, if you believe their theology, the servant of the people. Rihanna did not dress like the Pope in, you know, simple, nice clothes and just plain and dull and boring. No, 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 no. She decided to, she decided to pimp up the, the Pope's outfit. Go Google it if you want to see it. But that's... We, we get outraged by a dress. Yet that's all right. So my question to the Met Gala people and to society and to people who are outraged on Twitter and Facebook, 
I wonder would the Met Gala have a, you know, I don't know, a team party next year and, I don't know, Muslim team, Muslim garb, dressed like an imam. But, you know, not like how an imam actually would dress, you know, I mean actually pimp that baby up. I wonder would they? Then there was another story of apparently Woody Harrelson, you know, the actor. He was in the news this week because he was on Jimmy Fennell or what's the guy's name? Jimmy, one of them, Jimmy's. Um, apparently he went to, to Presbyterian College with Mike Pence and he went and said, you know, he was apparently, you know, quite religious as a kid and he's not anymore apparently, but he, he had some things to say about Mike Pence. He said he was a decent guy and, but he, one of the quotes was, he was just a whole different brand of religious, you know, that kind of fever that you really don't want. And then he went on later on in the interview to say, you know, the Bible, I see the Bible as kind of man-made. Here's the thing. This is a great thing about America. Great thing about freedom. I have no problem with what Woody Harrelson said. I feel sorry for him as a Christian that he seems to have lost his faith. And that he, you know, it's too religious. But you have that freedom. I wonder, would the progressives, you know, that, that utopian, be okay if he kind of said the exact same thing about an Islam? About a Muslim? But, you know, an imam that he went to school with. You know, that imam, he, you know, he's a nice guy, but, you know, he's, he was that whole different brand of religious. You know, that kind of fever, you know, that kind of feverish Muslim you just you just don't really want. And, you know, the Quran, you know, the Quran it has good parts, but you know, it's, it's really man-made. I wonder would people say that. I wonder would progressive culture say that. This is some of the examples in society where we're tearing other people down. Because that's what we have to do when you're a coward. You can't just empower everyone. You have to tear people down. You have to send an example. There are just some examples about Christianity. There was an article in the New York Times this week. And boy, what a peach it was. Because the New York Times, they have a good... They, they, they know what's going on in this world. And what they did, they wrote this article. And I, I read the title. And I went, you know, that should be an interesting article. Let's see what... You know, curiosity got the best of me. And the title was... Job description for the dumbest job ever. I was like, huh, I wonder what that is. And I'll be honest, when I saw the headline, I kind of went, that's another attack at Trump. You know, this is going to be another never, you know, never Trump piece. It's going to be one of those, you know, how do you, you know, the dumbest job ever, you know, be a millionaire, get a million dollar loan from your father. You know, some never Trump BS than liberal media could come up with. How wrong was I? So in case you don't want to send the New York Times a, a, a bit of a rating, their title... Their job described was a mother. And you see, here's the problem. What you're seeing in progressive culture and through the media and through politicians is, is this down talking of women. Where we don't, we want to, they want, they use the language of them. They want to empower women. They want to embolden women. But only women who want to work. If you dare think, you know what, I'm going to stay at home and be a stay at home mom. I'm going to homeschool my kids. You're, no, you're Satan to them. You're dangerous to them. They don't get you. Here's the truth if you want to empower people. And this is in any aspect of life. If you want to truly empower people, let them decide what they want to do. I I salute women regardless of their choice. And full disclosure, I come from a family where my mother, for a large chunk of my growing up life, had two jobs. So did my father. My mother had a day job, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and she also worked at night. So my mother is a working mother. She always has been. 
that's a choice she we had she had to make she didn't have a choice she didn't have the choice to stay at home because she needed we needed money in the house we weren't exactly a rich family i have no problem with her i have no resentment to her not you know not seeing her the amount of time other people saw their mothers no issues there i i got everything i needed as a kid not everything i wanted but everything i needed there are other parents I know, other families I've seen, where the mother never worked. They stayed at home. Now, we didn't... Homeschooling is not really a thing in Ireland, but I've seen plenty of stay-at-home moms. No issue with them. They make that choice. That's real empowerment. Not trying to shape culture. Go, well, you have to have women, and women have to have these type of jobs, and women have to do... No. Women can do what they want. Let them tr- trust women to make the right decision, to empower themselves. What you see in culture is, oh, if you want to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom, you're a moron. It's the dumbest job ever. I wonder would we see that, you know, the New York Times have the balls to say that about someone else. Let's call it the dumbest job ever. But look, at, let's take a step back from their recent stories and the stories in the last, you know, seven to ten days. Let's take a step back and historically look at your culture and how progressives act. Think about how, you know, when you think of a progressive politician, think of ever who you really don't like, Republican or Democrat, and, and think about what they get really outraged by, what they get really angry about, what they get really passionate about. You know, some examples are, anytime there's a school shooting or anytime there's a mass shooting, which there should be none, but that would be living in a utopia world. People will always do evil. We always have these conversations about the NRA. We have conversations about guns killing people. We have all this outrage about politicians needing to act. We have all these people going around going, well, Marco Rubio, you know, values a, a human life at a dollar five cents. Never have any outrage toward the actual person who committed the crime. We always have to shape society. We always have to bully people, people who won't step out of line, who will just take it. You know, you look at the, the class warfare by both Republicans and Democrats where you have the middle class. Everyone has an aspect of, they only want to empower a certain part of society. It's not just they want to set a set of rules up and, and boundaries and, and legislation for all. They, no, they just want to empower a certain type. Because apparently it's, it's, it's good and noble to be in the middle class. If you're the poor, uh, you're, you're not even worth talking about. And if you're the rich, we must tear you down. We need to seek to destroy you. We need to bully you. We need to coerce you. Look at how politics has come into your culture, where in the last election, you know, half the country was deplorables. It's always seeking to tear people down. And they always seem to get outraged by people who don't fight back. They always get outraged at people who they think will stay in line. They have to show that force because, again, a progressive is another strain of statism, just a different name where they need to empower the state. And everything they do to empower the state is to send a message to you to stay in line. Stay in line. We're going to take a quick break now, and then we're going to go into foreign policy. And why I started the show this way, I hope will become crystal clear. But during this break, I would ask you just to think of something. I'd ask you to think of a politician that you know, maybe your local politician, and think about things they have got angry about, where they've got really passionate, where they may have used, you know, some insulting language. You can think of the president, you can think of, of you know, Hillary Clinton, you can think of ever uh, who your congressman is, even if it's a state congressman. Think of something they got really angry at. 
because I want to highlight the true nature of progressivism when we come back. Don't go anywhere, America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. Necessities. We have to give them shelter, food, water, and medicine. I disagree. But there's an argument to be made. But there is no argument for any reasonable person to say somebody breaks into a country and on top of all that other stuff you've given them, we're going to give you free or discounted college at taxpayer expense. The morning blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on social media. I'm very active. Twitter, at Freedom Disciple. Uh, Facebook, at Jonathan Dunn 58 so, you know, Drop me a message. Send me a friend request. I love engaging with you. Even when you, even when you tell me I'm full of baloney, I'll, I'll engage with you. And you know, we'll have a conversation once you're polite. So this week, I, I asked you just to think about, or shared some stories, and asked you to think of a politician a progressive politician that you think, you know, they're really angry about this. They really try and put people online. I want you to think of that. But as I'm talking to you about some of the stories now, especially in foreign policy, I want you to contrast the anger levels, the passion levels. So this week, the big story was Donald Trump pulling out of North Korea. Or not, sorry, I'm sorry, of the Iran deal, I apologize. Pulling out of the Iran deal. Now, unlike President Obama, who, you know, had people going around, running around, going, oh, my God, the hardest decision of my lifetime was, was should, I, should I or not kill Bin Laden? It was so hard. I had so much thinking to do. And every American I knew went, even liberals went, are you serious? I, there's not a person I know who wouldn't think that was an easy decision. This actually was a tricky decision, which we're going to get into. But you had politicians running around this week with fever saying this is a bad decision, how Donald Trump is putting everything at risk. You had Samantha Power, who was the representative ambassador to the United Nations, you know, Nick, what Nikki Haley does now. You had her tweeting, and I quote, I will never forget the dark cloud that hung over the White House in the years Iran was advancing a nuclear program, and Obama was briefed on all the risks of using military force. You had Hillary Clinton... Hillary Clinton. Pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal is a big mistake. It makes America less safe and less trusted. Iran is now more dangerous. What's plan B? Anyone who thinks bombing is the answer is woefully misinformed. As Secretary of State, I helped negotiate the crippling international sanctions that brought Iran to the table. It will be much harder a second time now that our credibility is shot. Lastly, she tweeted, it will also be harder to deal with other threats like ballistic missiles and terrorism. Now we have no no leverage and Iran is free to do what it wants. You also had Barack Obama running and saying, it's America turning its back on its closest allies. So let's deal with these, shall we? You know, if there are people who you should not listen to in America, it's people who have no credibility and people who whose track record says they don't have one. 
you know, it was so frustrating. If you if you want some fun and you want you want to see someone really angry, I did a Facebook video this week about some of the stuff that I just read and and other stuff. The politicians' lines. It was infuriating this week to listen to it. If there are people who should not be listened to on foreign policy, it is political hacks like Hillary Clinton, Samantha Power, John Kerry, Barack Obama. There are political hacks out there like John McCain, who quite frankly, when it comes to foreign policy, you suck. You know, if you wanted to just go by, if you don't want to read anything on foreign policy and you want to, hey, what's the cheat guide? You know, what's the cheat book to foreign policy for America? Listen to what Barack Obama, John McCain, Hillary Clinton, Lindsey Graham say, Chuck Schumer say, and go the exact opposite. Because you have a good chance of being right, because their track record sucks. Even people like Joe Biden, who has somehow, in this world we have, respect, you know, he knows foreign policy. No, he doesn't. He might know it, but he always is on the wrong side. This idea, to quote Samantha Power, that there's, you know, this black cloud hanging over the White House when they did this Iran deal, and all of a sudden this Iran deal was signed, and all of a sudden there was peace, is the biggest spin lie I have ever seen in my life. How anyone listens to these people, I have no idea. When Barack Obama came to power, the Middle East was in trouble, right? Anyone who wants to make this about Barack Obama and Barack Obama destroyed the Middle East. Barack Obama did not destroy the Middle East. What he did was put fire on an already treacherous situation and just made it a hell of a lot worse. We don't do revisionist history on this show. The Middle East has been a problem for a very, very long time. In fact, if you want to be quite honest, the Middle East has had problems since Sykes-Picot, and that's 100 years ago. That's that's a large chunk of it. And that's where a large chunk of modern-day problems in the Middle East originate in some way, shape, or form. But what you have in the Middle East under the eight years of Barack Obama was a situation that he inherited, which was bad. He inherited like a bad situation, like every other modern-day U.S. president with the Middle East. And he just went, you know what, I'm going to make it a million times worse. Now, either you you can have one of two things you can think about Barack Obama. You can say, you know what, I think he had ill intent. You can say, I don't think he liked Israel. You can say, he just has a different way of dealing with things. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt, shall we? Let's say it wasn't an anti-Israel thing for him. That he didn't see Israel, he didn't buy the narrative that Israel was some, you know, type of colonial power enforcing its will on, on the poor Palestinian people. Let's just put all that aside. Let's just say everyone in the administration, let's do what they would never do for Donald Trump or any Republican. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say, you know what? They had the best intentions in the world. That they Everything they did, they tried their best. They acted nobly. Let's, I know that's hard, but let's just play a game for a second. Even if that is true, even if they had the purest intentions in the world, their track record says you might have the best intentions in the world, but the path you followed was wrong. The Middle East under Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State and John Kerry as Secretary of State was horrific. You had the situation in Libya. You had the situation with Gaddafi. Now, I'm no defender of, um, you know, a lot of American foreign policy in the Middle East. I I don't like how so many people are comfortable with, you know, well, he's, he's, he's a dictator friendly to America, so we're okay with that. 
I, I, I have a very uncomfortable situation and feeling as someone who believes in principles of accepting a dictator. It's just not something I'm willing to do. But I understand American foreign policy is slightly different, and that's okay. I'm not condemning, I'm just saying, I see things slightly different. But you had what they did with Gaddafi. Gaddafi had given up his nuclear weapons, wasn't exactly an active threat in the area, and they said, you know what, we need to get rid of him. You then had what happened in the Arab Spring, in Egypt, backing the Muslim Brotherhood. You look what happened in Egypt now ever since. You look at what's happening in Syria. Syria is another failed state. And to this day, on both sides of the aisle, no one seems to have a freaking clue of what the best path forward or what to do in Syria. You know, Republicans and Democrats have been on both sides of the aisle in Syria where they were for pro-Assad forces, or sorry, anti-Assad forces, and then they were pro-Assad. They've been on both sides of the aisle at different times over the last eight years. You've had ISIS in the Middle East, you've had Benghazi, you've had phony red lines, and you've had the emboldenment of Iran. Samantha Parr said there was a black cloud over the White House, or dark cloud, sorry. And that all of a sudden, you know, this, this, when this Iran deal was signed, everything went away. Well, that's the biggest lie you could ever find. Iran, currently, in 2018, has the following presence in the following countries. Yemen, Syria, Lebanon. They are the, large state, the start, largest state funder of terror in the Middle East. They fund Hezbollah in the Lebanon. They fund Hamas in Palestine. And if you want to be truthful, thanks to Barack Obama, Samantha Power, John Kerry, and Hillary Clinton, America is a large reason Iran is the largest state funder of terror. Because if you may remember, if I may bring your, you know, bring you to some recent history. Now, you know, the line was, well, this wasn't a payment for hostages, but remember the hostages that, you know, Barack Obama negotiated the freedom from Iran? Well, the very same day, it was just a total coincidence, it just, just happened to happen this way. You know, $400 million went to them. And because of the Iran deal, $1.7 billion went to Iran. In the dead of night, a big crate of cash was sent to Iran for this nuclear deal. Just a signed nuclear deal. In the dead of night. Now, why is cash such a big deal? Because if you do it through bank transfer or through other, you know, means that they, you know, states usually do these transactions, you can trace it. You can say, well, I went into this bank account and then into this bank account number in this bank account, which is located in this city. And then you can put a trace on it and see where it goes. And then you can, you know, maybe do some covert ops and find, well, it went here, some went here and some went here and some went here. And then you can use it to find, you know, other terrorist organizations. But with cash, you can't do that. This is the administration. This is the administration's legacy. Yet you still have people running around giving their advice and their opinion on an Iran deal. So what is the Iran deal? Well, what they simply put, the Iran deal, was signed by Barack Obama, and it was a relief from sanctions. If they limited, and this is the key word, if they limited their nuclear program. What's the first most important thing why Donald Trump should be saluted for this? Donald Trump should be saluted for this because this is something you won't hear very many, very many places in the coverage of this situation, either pro or against. There is one reason every American should be 
positive about Donald Trump pulling out of this agreement. And it's something you won't hear in very many places. It was unconstitutional. It was unconstitutional. Presidents do not have treaty-making powers. To make a president have treaty-making powers, you're going against the Constitution. Now, I know a lot of people in Congress and in D.C. could care to let, could give two craps about the Constitution, but it's still relevant. You have to do things the right way. If you want to do a treaty, the provisions in this Constitution are very simple. Go to the Senate. That is where they are ratified. That is where they are voted on. So from a pure, flat-out constitutional point of view, if you care about the Constitution, regardless of left or right, you should salute Donald Trump this week because he destroyed an unconstitutional act by Barack Obama. But let's talk about Iran for a second. Because right now, everyone wants in your culture wants to talk down American people. You're all deplorables. Right? You know, it's always the gun problem. The NRA are terrorists. Let's actually talk about a terrorist state. Because how did Iran respond to this attack? Or to this pulling out of the uh, nuclear agreement? Well, in their parliament, not a protest on the street, not like just a, a bunch of Iranians thought it'd be really cool to... No, in their parliament, they shouted debt to America. They shouted debt to America. I don't know if Samantha Power and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama realized, but, you know, the Iranian regime, they're saying debt to you as well. This is a country who, every Friday, burned the American flag. This is a country that, on November 4th, have a national holiday called Debt to America Day. This is a country that, on its missiles, regularly puts debt to America, debt to Israel. This is a country, as a show of force several years ago when Barack Obama was president, thought, you know, it would be really cool to get negotiations underway for a nuclear program deal. You know, let's get a mock U.S. ship and let's blow it out of the water. Let's just send the message. The reason I started today's show the way I did about societal outrage and progressives being cowards. Progressives, when it comes to talking about the American people, or as part of the American people who don't act the way they want to, talk really tough. They carry the biggest stick. Yet when it comes to failed states like Iran, when it comes to horrific dictators like the Ayatollah, when it comes to the failed dictator and despot King Jong-un, all of a sudden, that big set of balls they had seemed to disappear. All of a sudden, that talking tough just disappears. It's amazing, isn't it? This is a wonderful decision by Donald Trump. I salute this. I think I salute him for doing it. It actually was a tricky decision, and we're going to, when we come back after this break, I'm going to go through everything I have heard publicly from disagreements of why this is a bad decision. I'm going to respond to each and every one of them, because the only way we get the news out there is if we take what they're saying and respond to it the best way we can. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.
Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, we're on every major platform. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, FM, um, Omni FM, any major large platform. If you look for Freedom's Disciple, please subscribe. Please leave us a review if you can. We really appreciate it. Every show gets released 12 noon Saturday. So some of the reasons I want to go through, everyone's talking about this being a bad decision. I want to respond to some of them. One of the things I heard the most this week was, this emboldens Iran's hardliners. Okay, if you want to have a conversation about foreign policy, the bar should be at least do your research and do your homework and understand what you're talking about. You know, the internet has many great things. It's great empowerment to society. However, one of the bad things is it gives a platform to anyone who hasn't got a clue what they're talking about. They can just spread any opinion, whether it's researched or reasoned or not. I've seen this argument out there. It emboldens Iranian hardliners. Okay, Iran only has hardliners. Iran, in its true terms, I'd use the word everyone would say, Iran is a dictatorship. It's not. It's not one person. Iran is an oligarchy, and it's also a theocracy. It has hardliners. You do not get anything done in Iran without the approval of the Ayatollahs. Simple fact. When it comes to presidential elections... I know we have this election of one person versus the other, and the lot, somehow the media will always paint one person as the more moderate. You don't win on Iran without the approval of the Ayatollahs. Heck, you don't even run without the approval of the Ayatollahs. They have that much control. And any dis, you know, debate or discussion or you know, stepping out of line, you're crushed. There is no emboldening Iranian hardliners. They're already emboldened. They don't care. If you watch the transcript or watch the video of Benjamin Netanyahu, the President of Israel, or the Prime Minister of Israel, his presentation a couple of weeks ago, they showed all the evidence. They lied about their nuclear program. Which leads me to the second thing. The response. I always find it funny. I don't know if you watch or you see enough media, but enough comes through my, my feed that I can't stomach watching much of it, but I always find it funny how they always get their talking points around. They always utter the same few words. They, they'll, they'll talk them differently and they'll say them differently, but there's always certain key words. When Benjamin Netanyahu came out, everyone was like, there's nothing new here, nothing new here, nothing new here. That just shows you how bad of a deal this was. When you see the details of Project Ahmad... When you see the details of what they wanted to do, and they're all saying there's nothing new here, and you still made an agreement with them? Really? That just shows you how failed and flawed your thinking is. There is a lot of new things there. But even if there isn't because you have some type of secret access to intel that we don't have, that I don't have, that just shows you how desperate you were to make a deal. Again, using the best intentions in the world. You were desperate. You were willing to accept peace at any price. Even though these this sanctions and this relief and this deal only stops them from making nuclear weapons for a period of time. They can get ready and, and after that agreement ends, there's nothing to stop them then. But you're so desperate for your legacy, for Obama's legacy to be remembered, that you, willing, you were willing to do any deal. 
there's this also fail line out there that says, you know, Iran now has this excuse that, you know, can destroy America. It can say, you know, well, America did everything right. And, or sorry, Iran did everything right, and the U.S. walked away. If you even understand 1% of Middle Eastern foreign policy through Iran and through what Iran, Iran is doing, you can't say they acted the right way. They're funding terrorist groups. You know, there was a story this week, I don't know if you saw it, I'm sure you read it, but the reporting over here was, oh my God, the Israeli aggressors, they, 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 they targeted Iranian troops in Syria and they bombed them. Okay, that was the way it was reported, it was all bad Israel. And the, there was casualties, you know, there was up to 23 Iranians dead. Why does Iran have a stronghold in Syria? Now, while I didn't see it in Irish and European media, I did read it in US media. One of the places they targeted was a stronghold in Damascus. Why does Iran have a stronghold in Damascus if they're just, you know, doing everything the right way and they're just above board and they're just an honest broker? And the US just walked away from the agreement. Why are they in Syria? How are they launching missiles at Israel? Because that was the other thing that wasn't really reported. It wasn't in Israel. Israel just didn't go, you know what, we're here. You know what we'll do, boys? You know, get the IDF on the phone there. We're just going to bomb someone. You know, just go bomb a few places. They res- that was a response attack. There's another criticism which I've heard is that, you know, the bad side of this America pulling out this deal is it creates a vacuum. And China is now going to fill that vacuum. Okay. Russia's going to fill that void. So what's the alternative? Accept a bad deal? Appease the Ayatollahs in Iran? Accept that they're, they're bad actors? And just take peace at any cost? We are heading to a point in time where each and every one of us, as individuals and as, as a country, are going to have to make a decision of what we're willing to stand for. This world is heading to a place of tyranny where you're seeing major issues on the rise, which we've spoken about. China's not a good actor. Russia's not a good actor. North Korea's not a good actor. Iran's not a good actor. There is major tensions around the world. So to stop China, a bad actor getting involved, you're willing to just accept peace at any cost? My favorite one was by politicians like Hillary Clinton that this hurts U.S. credibility. If you're a rational thinker and you don't have a team jersey on, this actually is the biggest indictment of Barack Obama. This line, it hurts U.S. credibility because you're pulling out of a deal. Does it hurt U.S. credibility? In some ways, it actually does. Okay, and let me explain why. It hurts U.S. credibility because it sends, a, it sends some of a message if you just want to believe the narratives. That, you know, you had an agreement in place and you've stepped away from it. However, this actually should be the biggest indictment of Barack Obama and John Kerry and Hillary Clinton. Because the agreement shouldn't have been made in the first place. While foreign nationals and Chinese people and Iranian leaderships and and other countries like even Britain and France, they don't really care about, you know, the Constitution of America. They don't really care about the Senate's role in ratifying treaties. They don't really care. They just go, you have an agreement. If this really pulling out hurts U.S. credibility, that is the biggest indictment of the Obama administration for doing it in the first place. There's a reason 
the Constitution is one of the greatest documents written because it doesn't allow for transfer of power to change things. If you had a treaty, if Barack Obama had done things the right way and ratified that treaty through the Senate, could they have still pulled out? Yes. But it would have taken procedures to do it. The fact Obama went through it unconstitutionally allowed Donald Trump to just pull out of it by himself. This is why you have checks and balances in the Constitution of the United States. Then the EU. This is where I want to get to praising Donald Trump because I actually think I don't know the conversations behind the scenes. I don't know anyone in the White House. But this must have been a hard conversation, especially when he had alluded to he was pulling out and then... Right beforehand, Theresa May, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Macron, the President of France, and Angela Merkel, the PM of Germany, came out and said, no, this is a bad idea, we don't support this. Even when you had Boris Johnson over there, I don't know how much access he had to President Trump, but I know there was a picture floating around of him meeting with Ivanka Trump. Boris Johnson is the Secretary of State for the United Kingdom. It takes a lot of things to go against your, your, your allies. However, like politics, it's about principles or it's about allies. It's about principles or it's about teams. Which would you rather do the right thing, which this is the right thing, and go against your allies, or do the wrong thing just to stand with your allies? When it comes to it, and I have a track record of doing this, I will stand with principles all day long. Even if I don't care who it upsets. Do the right thing always. But what I always find funny is those who are arguing, oh, this is a bad thing. This is Donald Trump and this is just Donald Trump and a greedy capitalist and this is Donald Trump just doing what Donald Trump does. One of the largest reasons the European Union wants this deal, it's not because it keeps people safe. It's not because it's the right thing to do. The reason it wants the Iranian deal is pure economics. Because of this Iranian deal... Europe is now Iran's largest trade partner. What I always find funny is the socialists of Europe, they they love preaching about socialism and they love preaching about, you know, being the better you and, you know, caring for your man. But when it comes down to economic socialists will screw you just as much as a capitalist will. They'll just be hypocrites doing it. The EU is not making some type of brave decision or some type of principled decision. It's making a decision based on pure economics and hard-earned euro dollars. The other argument I hear is it isolates America. Does this decision isolate America? In some ways it does. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I'm not here to, to fudge the truth. In some ways it does. It will put a strain on some relationships. It's putting you directly against Europe. It's putting you against England, France and Germany. However, Donald Trump is making the right decision. You know, I'm no big Donald Trump supporter. If, you, if you're a long-term listener, you know that. I'm not some big defender for the president. I call him out on some of the other stuff he does, and I do it in a principled way. But when it comes to foreign policy, he's in building a track record of doing the right thing when it comes to foreign policy. Would I do everything Donald Trump does? No, I wouldn't. There is some stuff that makes me very uncomfortable that American president has said about dictators, Donald Trump. You know, he's praised King Jong-un. However, the results matter. What you have right now is, on a foreign policy ground, if America needs to be isolated, 
I don't think Donald Trump cares. You know, there are some things really good about Donald Trump, you know, and his personality. I don't think he cares about going it alone. I believe in, in trying to get people on your side and building a coalition. But I'm also not afraid to do things the right way, even if it means going alone. And I think Donald Trump, if he gets it in his, if he gets advice and ever who he listens to and, and he, he thinks it's the right decision and it's right in his mind, he will do it. And this, the powerful situation, and you, you know, whether you like this or not, you actually have to give credit to the media because they're actually emboldening Donald Trump to make the right decision, like especially when he makes the right decision. Because he'll go, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pull out the Iran deal. And the media will go along going, oh, this is dreadful. This is one of the worst things. That will just make him more bald-headed to do it. It's a really good system if, you, if Donald Trump is making the right decision. What's frustrating right now is Donald Trump is making some head rolls. And he's not getting the credit first. Not that he should need the credit. But you're so biased in your media right now. It's incredibly frustrating. And it's so biased in your politics right now. I started this show off by talking about how there's a strain of cowardice in progressives. I I shared all the stories of the culture over the last 10 days. Look at how they talk about the American people, how when the American people step out of line, they get so tough. Yet look at how the media is talking about third world dictators. You know, credit to Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo for getting three Americans home. Releasing from North Korea. Not one concession was made to get that. Not one concession. You look at the situation on Iran. What did America give up to get those prisoners home? It's a great thing when prisoners get home. But it's highlighting the difference. We need to have a conversation. Sorry, we don't. You all do. Amongst yourselves. We are entering times where and I've been saying this for a while, and I, so if you're a long-term listener, this, you're gonna, this is about the 110 billion time you've heard it. Principles matter. It's not about team jerseys. You're entering times where we will either see the end of the world, potentially, or we will have a brighter tomorrow. The path that Donald Trump is on right now, I don't know how it ends. It could go either way. He's brought North Korea to the negotiation table. Credit is due to Donald Trump for that, to the administration for that, to people like Mike Pompeo. He's released three hostages. Credit to Donald Trump and the administration. Credit also goes to South Korea. You know, of all the people who deserve credit and who could be fearful if things go bad, they have the most vested interest. Because if things don't go well and it escalates quickly, they're the ones who are going to feel the brunt of it. America won't. And pulling out of this Iranian deal, when everyone is saying it's a bad thing, is a really positive step. I don't have the answers. But I want to deal with one last objection. There is this phony narrative spread by Hillary Clinton and so many ideologues out there. And I know I'm an ideologue in some ways. I'm a purist on principles. But this ideology battle in America where you either bomb them or you do nothing needs to stop. 
There is this line this week, Hillary Clinton used it, you know, well, anyone who thinks, you know, pulling out this agreement is a bad idea and this is a great agreement and, you know, anyone who thinks bombing Iran is the solution needs to have their head examined. There are plenty of things Donald Trump and the administration can do. It's not like the ego, first of all, the ego from Hillary Clinton. If you don't follow my agreement and our agreement, you know, what are you going to do, bomb them? No, there are plenty of other paths. It's not an either-or situation. We need to have honest conversations about how we're going to deal with these battles. It's not a case of isolationism and it isn't a case of bombing them. It is a case of making the case and following a path. But the question we all need to ask ourselves is what are we willing to take? What are we willing to accept? And are we willing to stand for freedom? Are we willing to stand against evil? And are we willing to stand for a brighter tomorrow? I believe if enough of us say that message and send that message that yes, it's not a left or right or a top or a down or a, liber- a liberal or a conservative or a Republican and Democrat. If we are truly willing to stand for freedom, we can have a brighter tomorrow. We will have a brighter tomorrow. But here's the thing. We must be willing to stand and we must be willing to learn from history. And when we come back, I want to share a couple of stories with you about history. Because Earlier on in the show, GQ said the Bible was very repetitive. So is history. And what you're seeing right now with this Iranian deal and the reaction to it is just another repetition of history. I'll explain why when we come back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Gray. It's insanity. I hate this spin. The top 1% are going to control 66% of the world's wealth if we don't stop them with communism. This is like a bakery. Bake your own pie. It's not just a pie. Go bake more. The ingredients are all contained in a free market system. Put them together and come up with your pie, stupid. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I'd ask you if you enjoy this show or if you appreciate it, please share it with your family and your friends. We've got a lot of specials coming up. And just on that note, next week, there's going to be a special show for you next week. I'm going to take a step back and I'm just going to focus in on one issue that is going to be a special. And every so often, I'm going to do these specials. I'm just going to focus on what it's not going to be too much about the modern day. It's going to be more about principles. It's going to be more about philosophy. It's going to be more about ideas and just breaking down an idea in society and how you saying why it's good or why it's bad and just to really focus in on principles. I want to share some history with you because what you witnessed last week with the Iranian deal and the reaction to it was just history repeating itself once again. The problem and the 
people in politics and the media want to make, you know, what you need to do with a country, let's just take Iran because it's in the news so much, is you need to have some negotiations with them and you need to, you know, build trust and you need to do all these things and you need to play politics and you need to act a certain way and agree to certain things and then you have peace. Let me be very blunt. If someone thinks you have not got a right to exist or if someone thinks they want you dead... That you can't build a peaceful relationship on that. Th- that's not a foundation. That's a foundation of quicksand. It may take a day, it may take a week, it may take a year, but that, that's going to erode. If they truly hate you, you cannot have peace with them. You're going to have to find another path. History is repetitive. It is filled with leaders throughout the world. The actors change, the times change, the situations change. Well, history is filled with people thinking, you know what, there's this person who does not like me. They hate me. They want to destroy me. And if I just be nice to them, and if I just, you know, appease them, and I don't piece them, piss them off, so to speak, and I don't push them up against the wall, and if we just build dialogue, they just forget about their evil ways, and all of a sudden they'll come to love me. It doesn't work that way. That may work in in a simple case of me and you, like two individuals, where you're like, I don't like you, and I, I, you know, I, I start talking to you, and I'd be nice to you, and all of a sudden, then you don't see me as the devil, you see me as a person, and you can build friendships that way. It happens. But we're talking about an ideological difference. They see you as the great Satan. They have said in the past, they want to paint the White House black, that they want to raise the ISIS flag above your above the White House. This is some of the stuff they say about you. How can you expect to have reasonable peace with a country that has that opinion and which is allowed to keep that opinion? If you want to have peace with Iran, first of all, you need to build a foundation that you can both build off, where it's mutually beneficial to both parties. But let's take a trip through history, shall we? There are many times in history where people have said, just peace at any cost. If we remember the, the Battle of the Cold War, the Cold War was very interesting. And while I'm not going to say Donald Trump is Ronald Reagan, because I don't think he is, Donald Trump is Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan was Ronald Reagan. There has the potential to be similar outcomes. Because what the conventional thinking was prior to the Cold War and prior to Ronald Reagan being sworn in as president was if you read the language of Jimmy Carter, Nixon, Ford, LBJ, voices within your media, there was a famous saying back then from some of the commentators, better read than dead. It was another saying that was famous back then, I'd rather live on my knees than die on my feet. They were American voices during the Cold War. For a long period of time in your country, your culture, there were people there, including politicians and people in the media, who said, you know what? The way we end the Cold War is by accepting some type of, some type of democratic socialism. What we need in America is detente. What we need is just a, an understanding That was built on the same false premise like the Iranian dealers. They saw you as the great Satan. 
East versus West, Russia versus America. That was built on the same phony premise this Iranian deal was on. That if you just somehow be nice to the Soviets, if you just somehow be nice to them, and you be compassionate to them, and you concede and appease them, that eventually the Soviets will just forget about their hatred for you and just go away. If there's one thing you can count on, that won't happen. The Soviet Union will never, ever stop hating you. Even to this day, Soviet Union is not an ally of America. It was not an ally in World War II, it was not an ally at any time in the past, and it sure is not an ally now. Vladimir Putin is a dictator. Actually, technically, he's an oligarch. But everyone just used the word dictator. What ended the Cold War was not a, you know, better red than dead. It was not, I'd rather live on my knees and die in my feet. It wasn't the taunt. It wasn't accepting a form of socialism from the Soviet Union. What won the Cold War, without a bullet been shot, may I add, was many things. Unleashing the economy. Unleashing the American people. Innovation, space Star Wars, the space race. And having a president with the balls and the conviction to say, Mr. President, tear down this wall. Even when his own advisor said, don't say that. You can't say that. Looking at you, Colin Powell. Even on the way in the car to that speech, he was told you can't say that and took it out of the speech. Mr. Reagan said, no, I'm going to say it. Mr. President, tear down this wall. How you deal with dictators is you, I don't know, you find some way to build a a foundation that is not built on the phony presence of appeasement. It's not built on the phony presence that if we somehow be nice to you, they'll, they'll forget their evil ways and want to love you. You need to build a foundation that is solid and understand that that foundation may take force Sometimes it takes force. This idea that there are people who are pro-war out there. I know a lot of troops. I know a lot of people around the military. Some of them are dear friends of mine. I've yet to meet someone, even from politics, who's pro-war. Everyone loves to say, the liberals, our liberal friends will say, oh John, you're just pro-war. No, I'm not. Here's the fundamental difference between me and what you're witnessing in your politics right now. Is I don't want war. War is something I want to avoid, if at all possible, at any time. The difference is I'm not afraid to go to it. I'm not going to do everything in my power to appease a dictator or a country not to go to war with us. The reason I don't appease them is because when you appease someone... At some point in that relationship, the final ultimatum comes. And if you appease them and appease them and appease them and keep bending over for them, when they issue that final ultimatum, they already know your answer. Because you have a vested interest in saying and agreeing with them. Because you've agreed with them so much. The difference is, those of us who are quote-unquote pro-war, even though we're not, is we want to appease We understand that sometimes in this world, there comes a time where you got to put it up. That there can be no peace without force. Those times should be limited, 
Those times should be very seldom. But when those times come, they should be action should be swift, quick, and intense, and very targeted. If I may share another story with you, going back to the, the last big war the world saw, World War Two. There were voices around Europe who thought Hitler wasn't as bad as everyone said he was. There was even a famous agreement by Neville Chamberlain. We have peace in our time. I have met with Hitler. I've seen Hitler. I saw it in his eyes. I have a letter of peace. We have peace in our time. How did that end up? How did that end? As much as I hate saying this, we need to understand that in our history, and you can read any history book, for five minutes and understand this. Sometimes there are bad people willing to do anything to get their agenda true and to take power. It's like the battle of the gun. There are always going to be bad actors. There are always going to be people who want to do bad things and who are willing to do bad things and heck, probably enjoy doing bad things. They will do anything to get their name out there or to get their agenda across. We must remain resolute against those people. Not look for phony narratives. Not look to blame a gun or to blame the American people or to blame those who want war. We must blame the people who are responsible. In this case, it's the Ayatollah in Iran. It's the dictator in North Korea, King Jong-un. And countless other examples through the history of the world and to this day. It's time to have conversations about principles. I want to finish up today's show, which I hope you've enjoyed, just on a different note. On a personal note, I... uh, One of the things, and if you have any solutions to this or thoughts, I'd love to hear from you. One of the things that's become really crystal clear to me is, and I don't know how to do this, is we need to be more positive. You know, one of the reasons I love the conservative ideology and the libertarian ideology is because, in my eyes, it's the real empowering ideology out there. You know, every other ideology is based in some form of statism. And it's saying you need me to be the moral arbiter of society. You need me to do something for you. You need me to be your savior. One of the reasons I love American history and your founders is they rejected all that. They said, you don't need anyone. You just go do it yourself. And we encouraged you and we empowered you. We inspired you. One of the things I think, and I don't know how I'm going to try and do this, so if you have any tips, let me know, is we need to start sharing stories to inspire people. Not inspiring Republicans or not inspiring Donald Trump supporters, just inspiring Americans. There's so much out there which is propagated by your media of how much you suck. How much you truly suck as a country and how you you have it so bad 
I reject that. And my body of work suggests, proves I reject it. Because if America, even to this day, America has many problems. Even to this day, America is still better than other nations. It's the reason why I would move if I got a chance tomorrow. If I could move there legally tomorrow, I would. I would do anything that was moral and legal to do that. That's how much you are still awesome. And we need to share the reasons why you are awesome. We need to inspire people again. Because your culture right now, and it's propagated by the media, but also by everyone who uses social, not everyone, sorry, the vast majority of people who use social media. We love tearing people down. We love destroying people. We love getting those one-liners out there. I believe we need to start a movement of inspiring people, of empowering people, of telling people they can change the world. That if no matter how outrageous your dream is, you can do it. And not be it based around, you know, who we want to see promote in society. We need to lift up men. We need to lift up women. We need to lift up straight people. We need to lift up gay people. We need to lift up males, females, Christians, Jews, atheists, Muslims. We need to lift everyone up. And truly work together to be part of a brighter tomorrow. Because I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of seeing people been torn down. Now, some people should be called out for their stuff. I am no fan of politicians. I'm not saying build up Hillary Clinton. I'm not saying that at all. I couldn't do it. But people, we need to start inspiring people. Because that is the essence of America. It is that essence of, yes, you can do it. Yes, you can have a brighter tomorrow. Yes, you can come from nothing and be highly successful. That American story. We need to share stories of that, but we also need to encourage people to achieve it for themselves, to break the shackles of government, to break the shackles of a team, to break the shackles of politics, of the media, and say you don't need any of them. Do it yourself. And there are people behind you shouting and cheering you on, rooting for your success, understanding that when you're successful, we're all successful. Something to think about. If you have any ideas on how we can make that happen, get in touch with me. Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 or you can send me an email through my website, freedomsdisciple.com. But we need to start empowering people. And we need to stop tearing others down, even if they disagree with us. I hope today's show has given you something to think about. As always, we finish this show the same way we do each and every week. Saluting the real heroes in society, your policemen, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And this week, we give a special shout-out to Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo and the Trump administration for bringing home three Americans. You, sir, today are a hero, and we salute you. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget... In the sentiments of the Tocqueville, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Not because of Trump, not because of Obama, not because of Republicans or Democrats, but because of each and every one of you. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.